two weeks from Easter? Anybody knows how fast time's going? It's time just, weren't we, didn't we just do Christmas? I still have some Christmas stuff up in my house. And here we are already at Easter. You know why it's going by so fast? Because we're aging and we're forgetting everything. I heard a joke this morning, I'm just going to tell you. I'm going to steal it. Um, who's richer? A man with $11 million dollars or a man with 11 children? Come on. I'm, uh, oh, you're just trying to be spiritual. If you leave it up to me, I'm going to take that million, the 11 million. Some of you are going, oh, oh the Bible says children, so children. But inside you're thinking, ain't no way I want 11 children. But the answer is the one with 11 children. You know why? Because he doesn't want any more. That's good. Some of you haven't gotten it yet. Pray about it. You'll get it on the way home. I'm going to talk to you today about the sufferings of Jesus on his way to the cross. We are two weeks away from Easter. And we're following Jesus in his final 24. The final 24 hours prior to the cross. And if you track him, and thank God the Bible left a great record, you track him in the final 24, he experienced three great trials uh, that are like what we go through. Now, of course, we will never experience what he did, but we, we go through similar types of trials. Last week, I talked to you about the table of betrayal and talked to you about the trial of betrayal. Nobody was ever betrayed like Jesus, but we ourselves experience betrayals. So we talked about that. Now, today, I want to talk about the garden, the garden of Gethsemane, and I'm calling this the garden of decision. The Garden of Decision. Jesus went to the Garden of Gethsemane to pray. We're going to read about it. And then I'm just going to show you parallels between his life and ours. Because again, we'll never go through what he did. But we do go through parallel experiences. And remember that where Jesus suffered, we are healed. When he took the whip across his back, it released healing to our bodies. When he suffered emotionally, it released healing to our emotions. Jesus, when he died on the cross for our sins, we experienced forgiveness for the sins. He became poor that we might become rich. Everything about Jesus, there was a divine trade-off. What he had for what we didn't have and what we needed, he gave us. And he had to lose in order to give it. He lost his life to give us life. He lost his spiritual glory and riches in heaven to give us spiritual riches. And I'm going to show you today, he went through the Garden of Gethsemane so that when we go through a Garden of Gethsemane, and we will, then we are carried through that because he blazed the trail. He came out on the other side of Gethsemane totally successful. So let's read Matthew 26, starting in verse 36. Then Jesus came with them to a place called Gethsemane. And he said to his disciples, sit here while I go and pray over there. So first he told him to sit. And he took with him Peter and the two sons of Zebedee who were James and John. So he took the inner three. And he began to be sorrowful and deeply distressed. Then he said to them, my soul is exceedingly sorrowful, even to death. Stay here and watch with me. 
So first he said, sit with me. Now he's saying, watch with me, which is different. I want you to notice, he was not afraid to be honest about his emotions. Please catch that. He did not consider it a bad confession to talk about the way he really felt. Christianity never leads us to live a lie or to not be able to be transparent about where we're really at. And so Jesus said, hey, my soul is exceeding sorrowful. Paraphrased, I am way down. Verse 39, then he went a little bit farther, fell on his face and prayed, saying, oh, my father, if it's possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. Then he came to the disciples and found them sleeping. Well, they weren't watching. They weren't even sitting. They were sleeping. And this was a blow to him. And uh, he said, could you not watch with me one hour? Watch and pray, lest you enter into temptation. Because the spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is oh so weak. How many of you know that's true? Amen. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your blessing today. Speak to our hearts. Guide us. I pray that you enlighten our path. Illuminate our way. I pray that, Lord, your word will find its way into every heart and soul. Everyone watching by streaming video, we welcome you. And pray the Holy Spirit enters your living room, enters your car, wherever you might be, your place of business. And Lord, we pray that as we listen to your word, it will speak, it will encourage, it will strengthen, it will heal, it will deliver, and it will, Lord, give us the confidence that we're going to get through to the other side of our own Gethsemane. And we thank you for it in Jesus' name. Would you breathe a prayer, church, and say, Lord, speak to my heart. I receive your word in Jesus' name. Amen. Turn your neighbor and tell him, better be, this is going to be good. You better perk up and listen. Amen. Well, spring break is almost done. We're glad for that. How many of you had a good spring break? How many of you didn't even know there was a spring break? <laughs> That's kind of where I'm at. It made no difference to me. But anyway, I want to talk to you about this Gethsemane experience of Jesus. Jesus went to the garden. We notice when Jesus prayed in the Bible. Notice with me, he, he always got away from the crowds. He always got away from busyness. He always got away from any place of distraction. And he went into a private place, an isolated place. We find him going up into mountains and praying in the mountain. We, pr we find him going into the wilderness and praying in the wilderness. And we find him here going into an isolated, beautiful garden called the Garden of Gethsemane. Now, Gethsemane means oil press. That's the meaning of the word. And I think that's really significant because where Jesus went was a pressing place for him. Now, let me tell you what an oil press was. In Bible times, uh, they were big on olive oil. I love olive oil. Somebody gave me some today, and I, I love olive oil. I go to the olive garden to get olive oil. Amen? But now... In, in Bible times, they would get this big, round, flat stone, and, and they would tie an animal to it who would walk in circles and make that stone grind down. And they would put olives underneath the stone. And as this animal walked around 
and taking that stone in circles, it would crush, it would press the olives and crush them so that olive oil came out and they would have containers to catch the olive oil. It's interesting to me that the olive oil was reddish in color. Because we are just at the doorstep of Jesus going to the cross and shedding his blood for you and me. And do you know what? In the Garden of Gethsemane, according to Luke, this is where he shed his first blood. We don't stop to think about that, but Luke is going to tell us, I'll read it in just a moment, but he tells us that Jesus shed his first blood in the Garden of Gethsemane. The Garden of Gethsemane was a pressing place for him. And when you're in your own Gethsemane, it's a pressing place. It's where your faith is pressed. Your, your, your determination is pressed. Your, your hope is pressed. It's where you're in a pressed place. And out of that place of pressing comes precious oil, increased faith, increased fellowship with God, a, a, a deeper spiritual walk. There, there is always a precious oil that comes from our Gethsemane. As a matter of fact, I'm going to show you today that Gethsemane is not a place where you are ruined or where your, your walk stops, but your Gethsemane, like it was for Jesus, is actually a springboard to glory. Your Gethsemane, your, your place of pressing, when you're going through a deep trial, it is a springboard because God is with you. Who can be against you? Because God is with you, he's going to carry you through. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, the place of pressing, I will fear no evil, for he is with me. His rod and staff comfort me, and he is preparing a table before me in the presence of my enemies. My cup runs over. Amen. In the garden, Jesus was pressed with the knowledge that he was about to be beaten, lied about, carried through kangaroo court. He was about to be hung on a cross, and he was about to bear the sins of all of mankind on his own body. And so in the Garden of Gethsemane, we find Jesus pressed. We find him, we find him pressured. We find him stressed. And, and it manifests in three distinct types of trials he experienced in the garden. Dire circumstances, difficult submission, and distressing solitude. He said, well, Jeff, this sounds like a real up message. Well, it's going to be an up message because, listen, when you go through dire circumstances, and we all do, how many of you have realized if you've walked with God more than two weeks that, that Christianity is not a rose garden, it is not a, a, it is not a um, always a pleasant experience, but we have trials, we have persecutions, we have perplexities, we have things that stress us and distress us, and we go through difficult times in God where we are tried and tested, and our faith is put on the line. How many of you know that's true? So we do go through dire circumstances, and we do go through times where we are conflicted between God's will and what we want. And we do, do go through times when it seems like we're all alone. I'm going to talk about that. So first, let's deal with the first thing Jesus went through, dire circumstances. This is when things don't go the way you thought they would. Have you ever noticed that a major trial never tells you that it's coming? 
A major trial doesn't send a, a, a telegram to you saying, hey, in two weeks I'm going to arrive and you're going to go through a major trial. No, a, a, a major trial usually slaps you upside the head. It, it comes out of nowhere. You weren't expecting it. And Jesus now is in dire circumstances. It says he began to be sorrowful and deeply distressed. And he said to them, as we already read, My soul is exceedingly sorrowful, even to death. Do you know that it's not a sin at times to be sorrowful? It's human. If you're going through a time that is making you sorrowful, that's not a sin. Go ahead and be sorrowful and let God carry you through it. Luke informs us, and being in anguish, he prayed more earnestly, and his sweat was like great drops of blood falling to the ground. We know that that, that there have been times in history when somebody under incredible stress and distress, it burst the corpuscles under the skin, and you actually have bleeding under the skin. And Jesus was so distressed in the Garden of Gethsemane that he sweated, as it were, Great drops of blood. I believe that there was sweat mixed with blood. Jesus was so distressed. The Son of God, who had it all together, who walked on water and fed the multitudes and healed the sick and raised the dead and opened blind eyes and unstopped deaf ears, that Son of God was so distressed that he sweated, as it were, blood mingled with sweat. Why? He knew what was about to go down. He knew what his circumstances were about to become. And they were dire in the natural, though spiritually they were glorious because he's about to die for our sins. Matthew Henry, the commentator, writes this. The words used here is sorrowful and deeply distressed. Words like that describe anguish and horror of mind. A savior surrounded with sorrows, overwhelmed with miseries, almost swallowed up with terror and dismay. He did that for you and for me. Jesus went through this for you and for me. Because don't you remember when he said, hey guys, if I wanted to, I could right now call on the Father and he would send 12 legions of angels to whisk me out of here and I would not go through this. But he says, I'm laying down my life. It's, It's me. It's my decision. I'm laying down my life. So Jesus went through this for you and for me. And remember, because he went through this kind of sorrow, then he is with us in our sorrow. Amen? And we will experience healing in sorrow because Jesus went through this place of great sorrow for us. Now, I don't believe it was just over his death that he was about to die. Because, like I said, he chose to die. It was his choice to go to the cross. And I don't even believe it's because he knew his disciples were going to forsake him. He would already looked him in the eye and said, every one of you, are going to flee, you're going to be offended, and you're going to forsake me when they come to arrest me. In my darkest hour, none of you are going to stick around, not any of you. And, of course, Peter, the braggart, the one that was overly confident, not me, Lord, I'll never do it. These sissies might do it, but never me. And Jesus said, Peter, you're going to do it worse than any of them because you're going to deny me three times. See, Peter, I know you better than you know yourself. And he knows you and me better than we know ourselves. When you and I fall or mess up, he knew you were going to do it before you ever did it. You know what God never says? He never says, well, I'll be. Because he always knows what's coming before it arrives. He's sovereign. He's providential. He sees the end from the beginning. 
And so I don't think it was even their forsaking him that had him under so much distress. No, I believe his anguish came from his knowledge of the wrath of God towards man for sin. And he knew that he was soon going to bear all of that on his own body on the cross. And he also knew that there was going to be a brief moment when God the Father was going to turn his face from him. Never before happened in eternity past. It will never happen again in eternity future. It needed to happen but once when he carried your sin and my sin on himself. God turned his face for a moment. And I believe he dreaded that. Jesus dreaded that. But just like all of Jesus' other sufferings, his emotional suffering in the garden brings healing to us today in our own Gethsemanes. Amen. Listen to what the Bible says. It assures us we don't have a high priest which cannot be touched with the feeling of our infirmities. But he was in all points tempted as we are yet without sin. Let me deal with the first part of that verse. Catch that. It's very, very powerful. We don't, Jesus is our high priest. And we don't have a high priest that cannot understand our struggles. We don't have a high priest who sits in heaven and says, man, I don't get these people. All they ever do is mess up and sin and and, and, and so on and so forth. No, I don't, no. Jesus can be and is touched with the feeling of our infirmity. You know, there's a difference between sympathy and empathy. Sympathy, you look at somebody who's going through something, you say, boy, I sure feel bad for them. But empathy is when you enter into their pain with them. You know, we've all had somebody that we really loved. We love them a lot. And, and, and we've had somebody in our life. It might have been a parent, maybe a, a, a friend, or, or just somebody that we were really close to. And they went through something. They, they got sick or some kind of a disease, or they, or they went through some really hard place. And do you remember how it wasn't just sympathy? You didn't just say, man, I'm, I'm sorry for what you're going through. But instead, when you really love them, you enter into their pain. And you say with them, and you say to them, as long as you hurt, I hurt. When you're in pain, I'm in pain. I am with you until you come out on the other side of this because I'm not going to be okay until you're okay. We're in this together. I am not being selfish with what you're going through, but I am a part of what you're going through. I'm entering into it. I'm empathizing with you. And that's what we're being told in this verse, that Jesus is touched. He's touched with the feeling of our infirmity. When you're handed that pink slip, and you lose a job, and you feel that sting, and that hurt, and that fear, the Bible says he's touched in heaven right then with you. He's touched with the feeling of your infirmity, your trial. Where you get a bad doctor's report, and you don't know what to do, and you're shaking, and you're trembling, and the room spins, and you don't know how to respond. The Bible says you don't have a high priest that cannot be touched. You've got a high priest that is touched with what you're going through. He, he empathizes with your pain. When you're betrayed, when your heart is broken by the loss of a loved one, we have a Savior who enters into our pain and has compassion on us and empathy. And thank God, when Jesus empathizes and feels with us our pain, He is a Savior who is powerful enough to carry us through that pain out to the other side into a place of healing. Amen. 
This is why the Bible says, hey, we don't have a high priest that can't be touched with the feeling of our infirmities. But he was in all points tempted like we are, yet he never sinned. Therefore, let us come boldly to the throne. Everybody say the throne. What kind of throne? Is it a throne of judgment? Is it a throne of anger? Is it a throne that doesn't care what you're going through? No, God is on the throne and it's called a throne of grace. Let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace. And grace gives you and me the ability to do the will of God. He says, when you're going through a trial, I'm in it with you. I feel it with you. I'm hurting with you. I'm walking with you. When everybody else walks out, I walk in. I am never going to leave you. I'm never going to forsake you. I'm never going to walk away. I'm going to stay with you until you get to the other side. And while you're in it, I'm going to grace you. With what? Mercy. Let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace. The throne of grace. That we might obtain mercy and find the grace to help us the grace to help us in the hour of need and so he extends his grace when we're in a place of pain aren't you glad we've got a savior that can be touched with our pain and then can carry us through our pain to the other side strengthen us in the middle of our pain if you're thankful give him a hand of praise today thank you lord so in that garden Jesus faced dire circumstances for you and me. He said, I'm willing for everything to break loose. I'm willing for everything to come against me. I'm willing for them to arrest me. I'm willing to walk through these circumstances so that those who believe on me afterwards will experience grace in the midst of their trouble. And the second thing he experienced in the garden was difficult submission. It says, listen to his prayer. Oh, my Father, if it's possible, let this cup of suffering be taken away from me. Here's Jesus saying, Lord, if there's any shortcut, if there's any other way, because, Lord, I know what's coming. I know what I'm about to experience, and I know how grueling it's going to be. I, I know what it's going I know, to—I know how difficult it's going to be. So, God, if, if there's any way that we can kind of modify what I'm going to go through— if there's another way to redeem man, show me, Lord. Show me, Lord. The will of God for him was anything but desirable at this point. And I don't blame him at all. He knew he was about to be beaten, betrayed, lied about, hung on a cross. He knew all that was coming. And worst of all, he knew he was going to be briefly separated from the Father. For it says, he who knew no sin became sin for us, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. He didn't become a sinner on the cross, but he took our sin. Folks, hear me. He took your sin. He took my sin. He took every word we ever spoke that was sinful. Every thought that ever went through our minds that was fleshly and sinful against God. He took every action you and I would ever commit, and not just us in this room or those watching by streaming video, but all of mankind before and all of mankind after, and all of mankind in the entire world, billions and billions of people, all of their wicked thoughts and wicked words and wicked actions that separated them from God, Jesus took 
on Himself. He was the sacrificed Lamb. That's why He said, My God, my God, why have You forsaken Me? Because at that moment on the cross, when He took Your sins and mine upon Himself, God turned His face. And He became sin for us that we might become the righteousness of God in Him. On the cross, you know, there's that old song, were you there when they crucified my Lord? Let me answer it. You were there. I was there. Because our sin was there. And our sin was part of what nailed Him to the tree. My sin, your sin. We don't hear a lot about that today, do we? I've heard major preachers in America say, we don't talk about sin. That's insane. How can you tell people they need a Savior if they don't know they're a sinner? I'm here to tell you, we need a Savior. And I'm here to give you the good news that Jesus spread out his arms and his feet and they nailed him to that cross. And while he hung between heaven and earth and the sky grew dark as midnight in the high noon hour, Jesus took your sin and my sin. He experienced our judgment. He experienced the wrath of God that would have come upon us on himself. He took it all. He was the sacrificed lamb. Thank God he did not turn away from difficult circumstances. He went all the way. No wonder the Bible says, woe unto us if we neglect so great a salvation. Difficult submission. Nobody's ever going to face what Jesus did, but all of us can identify the feeling of being torn between God's will and our own desires. Happens just about every day in some small or larger way. You want one thing, God wants another. Our flesh wants one thing, and we know God wants another. And we're always having to decide. That's why Jesus said, listen, if you're, if you're going to make it in this walk called Christianity, then you're going to have to every single day pick up your cross and follow me. Now, now, what is a cross? It's where something dies. And what dies when we pick up our own cross, our self, our own desires, our own will, our own wishes, and we make our own desire and our own will subservient to God's higher will. And if we don't live that way, we will never break the tape at the end of the finish line. We never will because we will be carried aside by our own desires somewhere along the way and we will settle for something other than God's best. But it happens like this. We wake up one morning and there's something we really want. It might be a person. It might be a place. It might be a thing. You fall in love with somebody and you say, I, I, I've got to have this person. Or you would love to have that job and make that money and go to that workplace and have that position. Or you would love to live in that home, in that city. You would love to be there and, and plant your life there. And, and that's where you want to settle. There's all kinds of things we always want, small and great. Every single day we experience this. But then, along with our desire, we begin to suspect. It's sort of a knowing way down deep inside that God is asking us to do something else. Go another direction. Take another road. Turn loose of something we're holding tightly onto. And then comes the struggle of Gethsemane. I don't want to let go. I want what I want. When I want it. The way I want it. And so there's that struggle. Now look what Jesus was experiencing. Oh, Father, if there's any way, please help me. If there's any way that I can redeem them without going through, all I know I'm about to go through, show me. But there was no better way. 
And Jesus prayed, nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. That's the cry of Gethsemane. That's what Gethsemane is all about. Saying, not my will, but yours be done. As one girl in a revival asked the visiting preacher, Sir, I'd like to know how we can be Christians and still have our own way. Well, you know, I found out that when you give up what you want and you get what he wants, there may be some pain along the way in giving up what you want. But if you give up what you want and he doesn't want for you, but he wants something else for you, when you take what he wants, then it's always a bigger blessing, a greater blessing, a higher blessing. It's always better. Gethsemane is choosing God's highest when we feel our lowest. Jesus felt his lowest, but he said, Lord, not my will. If the cross is your will, and I know that it is, then your will and not mine. And he went all the way to the cross. And since Jesus overcame the trial of difficult submission in the garden, he's able to help us do exactly the same. We're in that he himself has suffered, being tempted. He is able. Everybody say, he is able. He is able to do what? Help those who are having to decide between his will and their own will. He will help you make the right decision. Because at the throne of grace, he gives grace. And he gives mercy. And he says, what you can't do on your own, I'm going to do through you. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Even choosing, even choosing his will over mine when I really want my will. The third thing Jesus experienced in the garden was distressing solitude. Now, we don't understand this. This is hard to understand. But do you know that in his darkest hour, Jesus' three top men, his three top disciples, Peter, James, and John, fell asleep on him. Now, let me draw a parallel. Have you ever noticed that there are times, and I don't know about you, but I've been through this before. I've had a few Gethsemanes of my own. And I'm going to tell you, in Gethsemane, you're always wondering where everybody is. Because it seems like everybody's asleep. It seems like nobody is connecting with what you're going through. It seems like they're asleep. And if you've never experienced this, buckle your seatbelt, you will if you go on with God. Because it says three times Jesus first put them there and he said, now sit here. And he went off and he prayed. And when he came back, he said to them, now watch with me. And he came back again and they were asleep. Three times. Jesus found them not doing what he'd asked. And the last time, it was a slap in the face. They were asleep. And he said, could you not watch with me one hour? It's funny, but God will allow us to go through things when no human being is there to carry us through. No human being was there for Jesus. The Bible says that God sent an angel, and the angel strengthened him. It was a supernatural answer for his loneliness because men did not come through for him. No wonder David said the help of man is vain. But victory and help comes from the Lord. You'll find that Jesus found that that the disciples didn't understand his battle. They were preoccupied with their own needs. My weariness, my tiredness. And I believe that God allows us to go through this sometimes for a very special reason. When you feel alone, some of you today feel alone. You feel like nobody understands what you're going through. You feel like nobody gets it. You feel like nobody is there for you. You wonder why in the world you feel so alone. 
Even though there is a room full of people, you still feel alone. You can go through hell and everybody around you not understand. You feel alone. And I believe that God allows this for a special reason. Because watch this. Remember, Gethsemane is a springboard. It's the springboard for your next level. Gethsemane is a stepping stone. It's not your tombstone. It's your stepping stone for your next level. It is those lonely times when no man is around to help us that we learn the faithfulness of God, the comfort of the Holy Spirit, and the strength only He can bring. When no one else is there, we look up and we say, God, what am I going to do? And God says, I'm glad you asked that because you're about to learn me like you've never known me before. What does the song say? I go to the garden alone. While the dew is still on the roses and the voice I hear falling on my ear, the Son of God discloses. And what happens in the garden? And he walks with me and he talks with me and he tells me I am his own. And the joy we share as we tarry there, none other has ever known. Amen. Even the writer of that song said, you know, I go to the garden. When I'm in the garden, it's alone. But something happens in that garden. I hear a voice. And the voice I hear. Falling on my ear, the Son of God discloses. And I learn in the garden that He's walking with me. And He's talking with me. And He's telling me, you're mine and I am yours. And then I begin to experience a joy that we share as I tarry there. None other has ever known. So notice how the garden that seems like a place of, oh man, this is dire circumstances. This is torn in my decision making. Do I follow God, follow myself? And now the loneliness, all that comes with the garden turns into a spring of blessing. I'm going to speak that over you. Some of you are in a garden. It's going to be a spring of blessing for you. He's going to talk to you. He's going to walk with you. His presence is going to be with you. You are not in it alone. You're not staying there. You're going through. He's not going to forsake you. He's going to guide you. He's going to lead you. He's going to illuminate your path. He's going to bring you out to the other side. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. For you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. And I love this part. In the valley, you're preparing a table before me. In the presence of my enemies, my cup runneth over. Amen. Are you in a valley today? Are you in a garden of Gethsemane today? Can we stand together? Well, I think of Jacob, I think of David, I think of Jeremiah, I think of so many Bible characters that went through alone times, their own Gethsemane times. David felt so alone once in his Gethsemane that he said, I am lonely, like an owl living in the desert, like an owl living among old ruined buildings. David confessed, I am lonely. Jeremiah was alone prophesying to the entire nation of Judah. Yet he came out of it with a testimony that's powerful. The Lord is with me as a mighty, awesome one. 
His faith grew in his Gethsemane. Who can forget old Job? Suffering so terribly, but totally alone. Even his own wife said to him, hey, you old fool, curse God and die. He's not with you. His wife didn't understand. His three friends spent most of the entire book of Job telling him it was all his fault for what he was going through. Job was alone. But I want you to look at what he finally uttered. Look what God put in him in that Gethsemane. For I know that my Redeemer lives. And he shall stand at last on the earth. He's envisioning the second coming of Christ. And after my skin is destroyed, this I know. That in my flesh I shall see God. Amen. Amen. Everyone that went through a Gethsemane in the Bible, when God was with them, they came out on the other side stronger deeper, more influential, more compassionate, knowing God better than they ever knew him before. Let's pray together. Father, I thank you that you're with us today in our valley of trouble, in our garden of Gethsemane. I thank you that Jesus did not walk away from the dire circumstances I thank you, Lord, that he chose God's highest. I thank you that he was not deterred by the loneliness, but the angel of God visited him. And he went to the cross and died for every person in this room and the whole world. And then he rose from the dead. Lord, I pray for those who are in a garden of Gethsemane in their own Gethsemane today. If you say, Jeff, I'm experiencing one of those three, the circumstances, the tough decision-making, the loneliness, I want you to raise your hand, would you? Raise your hand. I'm in one of those three, maybe more. God bless you, many of you. I want you to do something. I want you to slip out and come into this altar. I have felt led to pray for you, impressed to pray for you, and I want to do it today. I want you to slip out and come. Come on. Come down to the altar. There's an anointing here. There's a blessing here. And I want to pray for you today. I want you to come into the altar. We're going to meet God in the altar. The altar is here for a reason. You need strength. You need mercy. You need grace. You need help. You need the hand of God. Come on. All the way down. Let's stretch across here. Right this way. Jonathan, if you can move them this way. If y'all can just stretch out across the breadth of the altar here. Thank you. Holy Spirit is here with us right now. I got a word for you. You are not going through this alone. You will not go through it alone. My hand is with you. My hand is upon you. My hand is working through you. And my hand is fashioning you. I will forge into you my character. I will forge into you my likeness. Do not look around you and fret over your circumstances. Do not fret over the people who have failed you. But trust in your God that I have everything in my hand. And I will carry you through in my timing and in my way. And you will come out on the other side. 
And I will make you a blessing to those who are going through the very thing you're going through now. I will make you a blessing. And I will make you a comforter. And I will make you an encourager. And I will not waste your pain. But your pain is going to turn to your gain. And I'm going to use it in your life. Look up and rejoice over your God. Look up and bless your God. For your God is with you and rejoices over you. Can we lift our hands together? Lord, I thank you right now for being with us. And Lord, right now, those of us in this altar, in our own Gethsemane, Lord, right now, we receive the help of God. Remember, he said, come boldly to the throne of grace. Let's do it. Lord, we come boldly. We come boldly washed in the blood of the Lamb, full of the boldness of the Holy Spirit, because there is no more judgment, no more condemnation, but we are the righteousness of God in Christ. And we come boldly to the throne of God. And we ask you, Lord God, to release grace, 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 and more grace, grace. And mercy, grace to help us in this hour of need, mercy to hold us up. Thank you for the sweet mercies of God that are new every morning. And thank you for the grace of God that is extended right now to, Lord, strengthen us in the hard circumstances, to strengthen us to make a decision for the will of God, to strengthen us right now. Even if you've got to send an angel instead of people, an angel to help us, to encourage us, and to strengthen us. Well, I sense such an anointing right here in this altar right now. I want all of you to lift your hands and say, Jesus, I receive it. It's done. I receive it. I receive it from the hand of God. I receive it. It's here right now, and I receive it, Lord. In Jesus' name. We haven't prayed in vain. It's here right now. In Jesus' name. Just saying, let your name be lifted higher. So let your name be lifted higher. Sing it, everybody. Be lifted higher. Be lifted higher. So let your name be lifted higher. Be lifted higher. Be lifted higher. Sing it again. Lift up his name. Let your name be lifted higher. say Jesus is in the house amen I want all of you to know God heard that prayer amen and he did it it's done as you go back to your seats 
Pastor Ray's going to come up quickly. And we are in a little bit of a rush, Pastor Ray, but he has some little friends with him. Don't go anywhere because you're going to want to hear this. And Brennan has a quick announcement at the end as well, and then we're, we're done. All right. I love the third service because we're not come on, guys. This as way. pressed. This way, kids. This hey, way. They're going the wrong way. Wrong way. Come this way. <laughs> come all the way up here. All, all the way right. Up here. Two weeks from today is Easter Sunday. Are you excited for that day? Yes. Two weeks from the day before Easter Sunday, which is a Saturday, we will have an ocean of children flowing onto our property Come on down from here, all kids. over right DFW. Get right along here. Not just our own TPC families, but children who don't even attend go. here. Some right children here. who've never attended church ever there before, and they're going to get to be a part of our church eventually because we get them on the property, we'll get them in the building. I promise you. What we have a problem with is it's only two weeks away. Pastor, we need 10,000 eggs filled. Now, we have... That's a lot of chickens. Yeah. One 10, of these buckets, one of these buckets will hold a 1,000 eggs. And you already have 1,000? We have 1,000. So you need 9,000. 9,000. I want you to notice something. Let me have this. They're not going to let me have it. <laughs> Give me back that bucket. Yield to the will of God. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> That's what we do, though. No. Anyway, notice they have these huge buckets. Now, there's styrofoam cup people and there's bucket people. You got styrofoam cup faith? Yeah. Fill my cup, Lord. I lift it up, Lord, my cup. But there's those people who walk around, Lord, I'm believing for a bucket full. Now, you're either a, how many of you can say I'm a bucket person? I'm a bucket person. I, I carry this in my heart everywhere I go. I, I've got... I'm asking God to fill a bucket. Now we've got ten of them or eight of them up here. Yeah, there's eight buckets. Eight up buckets, here. and these kids have bucket faith. Yep. So go ahead, Pastor. All right. So here what we, we need you, from you guys, if you if you can, you. T- take this card that's on your seat or by you. If you see one that's not being picked up, take it. Look at it all week long, and then bring with you next next time you come. Hopefully Wednesday and Sunday. Uh, uh, individually wrapped candy, no chocolate. It melts in the sun. Okay. Uh, you can also bring empty eggs because we're going to stuff them. And then we need uh, Easter baskets that are already made up to give away as prizes and just come and enjoy. But we need it as soon as possible before a week on Wednesday. All right? Super important. We'd like to have 10,000 eggs. We've never had less. Never had less. Never had less. You'll have them. Yeah. We're going to have them. You'll have them. These kids are ready for it. I asked a little boy this morning, well, he came to me and said, Pastor Ray, what's all that candy for? I said, it's for you in two weeks. And he went ballistic. So, yeah. Amen. All right. Thank Thank you, you, Pastor Ray. Bye, kids. Amen. Uh, Real quick, we have a ministry fair going on in the fellowship hall right now. Our ministry fair is just to give you an insight to all the different ministries that we have here at Turning Point Church that you can get involved in. One of the things Pastor says all the time is that he was planted in the house of the Lord shall flourish in the courts of our God. So we want you to get planted and rooted here at Turning Point Church. So make sure you hit the fellowship hall on the way out for the ministry fair. Part of that is... You know, did you know Pastor Jeff bought a, bought an airline ticket this this week to go to Honduras? Yeah. Yeah. So we're partnering with my friend uh, Steve New. He is uh, Stephen Evans' right-hand man. You know, you've had Stephen Evans here before. Steve New is here with us. We are promoting Honduras. We're taking a team with them to go to Honduras. Can you give us the dates real quick? Yeah, the dates are uh, July 16th through 22nd. And I just want to invite you to come with us. Uh, we're excited about the team. 
turning Amen. point is bringing. And, um, you know, I was there just a few days ago, and the Lord dropped this in my heart out of, out of Scripture, this phrase, mercy to thousands. And I believe that's what we're going to see in July. So I want to invite you. Come be a part of it. Yeah, so right, come see us you. at the table. Can I stay here? I need you. All right. Now, Wednesday night, I'm going to be teaching, answering a couple of tough questions with, with tough answers. We've been having a great time Wednesday nights. How many of you Wednesday night folks can say amen? I mean, I'm at the end of my teaching, I'm taking questions, and I don't know what the questions are going to be from the audience, and I'm just believing God to be with me to answer them. But it's been a great time on Wednesday nights, and so we invite you to come Wednesday night at 7 o'clock. Invite someone to Easter. Target somebody. You know why? Because Satan has already targeted them. So target them for the glory of God. Think of who you can invite and invite them. Neighbor, co-worker, family member, spouse, parents, children. Invite them. Bring somebody with you. Don't come alone. Amen? Let's count. to th- Well, Brendan is going to count. And I'm going to go to this door so that I can say goodbye to many of you and meet many of you. Thank you for coming. Aren't you glad you came to church today? Amen. All right. As Pastor heads to the door, we'll give him a second. But here's what we're going to shout. We're going to shout, Jesus is with me. Amen. Y'all have a great week. We'll see you Wednesday night and next weekend. Make sure you say hi to Pastor on the way out. Here we go. One, two, three. Jesus is with me. God bless y'all.